Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. What is going on, Blade Sports fam? It's your favorite history teacher, Mr. Parker Angels, here another edition of FN Sports Podcast, where teachers grade sports' biggest issues. And for this episode, we're going to go ahead and preview the newly, I guess, crowned Eastern Conference champions, Boston Celtics versus the Golden State Warriors in the NBA Finals. We're going to bring on student Thomas Christensen to help us break it all down. He is a Warriors guy and a Warriors fan, and frankly, has been writing and podcasting with the Warriors for a while. So without further ado, let's dive on in All right, we are joined tonight by Thomas Christian. I say tonight because it's right after Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. 
The Boston Celtics knock off the Miami Heat and are headed to the NBA Finals to play Thomas Christian's Golden State Warriors. Thomas, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. I'm just going to say right off the bat, Warriors in six. <laughs> and I think that I was I was watching the Eastern Conference Finals uh, game seven, and I was thinking, yeah, either of these teams feel pretty good about it. Can't lie. <laughs> well, uh, since you said Celtics in seven and they won, I don't even know if we want to dive too far deep into that. I will say that we are recording two episodes in a single Sunday night. Uh, so you make sure you go check out the Goated podcast as well and see us just go back and forth about a lot of the Eastern Conference Finals and Miami Heat and Kyle Lowry being in shape or out of shape and all those kinds of fun things uh, on Thomas's podcast, the Goated NBA podcast. Tonight, and for, I guess, the listening audience on Monday, we're going to talk some about the NBA Finals. We're going to preview a little bit, uh, and I want to really get your grade on a couple of things. Thomas, I know you're a student, and I'm the teacher, but I want to get your grade on some things. So my first question or grade I'm going to request, Thomas, is as a Finals opponent looking at the entire Eastern Conference, what grade would you give the Boston Celtics? Uh, well, this is perfect because I'm a student, but I'm on summer vacation and I'm waiting for some of my professors to give me my grades back, even though they should have by now, but they haven't. Um, but in terms of like an overall performance, I give the Boston Celtics like a C plus because frankly, like they passed, right? They won in seven with like two blowouts where it went the other way. And I'm just like, mm, I, I don't, I don't know if you, if I'm thinking that the Heat are an easy team to beat for my Warriors uh, and I see the Celtics kind of barely grab past them where they really were had a lot of their flaws exposed, quite frankly, with, you know, a Heat game plan where, you know, these Warriors are, if you think that the, of the Heat as this older veteran team that isn't going to give you an inch, right, the Warriors are that times 10, right? They have three uh, world champions are, you know, four with Kevon Looney on that roster, um, plus uh, a whole host of other, uh, you know, different playoff and, and just veteran talent. And, and they're a lot deeper. They're a lot, uh, they're just kind of more dynamic in kind of every direction. I'm kind of wondering just, you know, how much is this Celtics team really going to hold up, especially when, you know, and I'll give him credit here, right? They fought really hard when they did just play a seven game series uh, right before this against the Bucks, And now they're coming back off of two back-to-back seven game series. That is, that cannot be easy. If I'm a, if I'm a Celtics uh, player, I, I'm going to be feeling that in my, in my knees tonight. And so I do wonder a little bit like, okay, so the final starts on Thursday. So today's Sunday. So you do get Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. However, these warriors have got, have finished their series. What was that on Thursday? Yes. Yeah. So they're going to have a whole week to, to prepare and to rest and to watch two games of Celtics heat basketball, like very closely. I'm sure, you know, that um, a lot of the Warriors were probably watching this with very close eyes, taking notes uh, for the next, for the next series. So yeah, I, I'm very curious to see just as a whole. Well, and I got a lot of thoughts that was interesting. Um, first of all, I think this is funny because Draymond called this, right? Um, we we, we got to point out, as much as it felt like motivation from Miami in game six, uh, Draymond bluntly said, we're playing Boston. Like, like they, they very much anticipated this, like you're saying. And I'm sure they watched the two games over the weekend thinking, okay, what is Boston going to do? What is Boston going to do? What is Boston going to do? Because Boston is particularly 
unique. And we'll get into that more in a second. But if I had told you, Thomas, in 2018, that in the 2022 NBA Finals, the Warriors and Celtics were playing, you probably wouldn't have been that surprised, right? Like that's two, at the time, dominant teams. Now, you probably also would have thought that at the time, Golden State Warrior Kevin Durant, and at the time, uh, Boston Celtic Kyrie Irving would have been some prominent feature in this. And I have to say, it's interesting to see how the other parts of those teams, the core, the Jays in Boston or Steph Clay Dre in Golden State, seem to be the only continual part of teams that were very, very, I mean, Golden State obviously won in 2018 and Boston got to the East Conference Finals. Four years later, that's the only real, like, carryover you have Horford Smart and the Jays I guess so all four although Horford's been around the block and come back um it's a weird weird thing to see play out Uh, and as a history teacher I guess I got to point out a little bit of backlogging there if you're Golden State um are you worried all all about rust for coming off a couple you know a full week off um you are a little bit older um I don't know if that helps or hurts I'm not, I, I think it helps and it only helps. I think these guys are a little too um, experienced to, to let a, a weak hiatus uh, sort of let them rust in any sort of way. I just can't see, you know, a guy, guys that have been winning for as long as they've been winning and they've been together since before 2014, must have been earlier. So eight, nine years together with, with all three Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, Stephen Curry on the team together. I, I don't see them rusting. I, I see them kind of like holding each other accountable. Um, but to your point with, with Jason Tatum and, and the rest of the Celtics, for me, the, the one knock that I've seen come again and again with this iteration of the Celtics, right? The Jason Tatum Celtics is that they're sort of the young team, right? So even myself, I made, I made the mistake of picking the heat in game seven, because I just was like, well, uh, Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry experience wins the day. Uh, I say heat in seven. Uh, and I was completely wrong. And reflecting, it was just like, you know, like this Tatum Celtics team is not a young team. They're, they might be young in terms of age, but in terms of experience, Tatum and the Celtics, this this playoff run alone, they beat the KD Kyrie Nets in four, right? All four of those games are pretty close, but that was still a sweep officially in the first round, um, which, by the way, contenders in the first round, they tend to sweep or gentleman sweep, right? So right out the gate, we should have saw this coming. Uh, then they they climbed the mountain of Giannis Antetokounmpo, right? They, they finished that in seven games, but they beat the, the guy who was the reigning champs. And then they came back again and beat the, beat the team that represented the East two years ago in the bubble finals, right? So the three biggest, baddest teams that I was the most afraid of the Celtics beat all three of those teams. And I, I'm like, okay, at this point, you're no longer this young inexperienced team. You're no longer like counting yourself out, right? The, in order to be, in order to get his first ring, Jason Tatum is going to have to go through KD, Giannis, Jimmy Butler, and now Stephen Curry. That's pretty insane. But I, I think if, if you're Jason Tatum, you're looking at it as I've already beaten these other guys. You know, I understand that my team isn't as deep that, but we've got enough defense to uh, hold down the fort. And uh, if I can go down, if I can go out there and score 30, 35 a night, uh, I think we should be fine. So that, that's how I would be approaching this if I was Celtics or, you know, on the Warriors side, it's kind of more of just like, yeah, we've got the tape on these guys now. Uh, we, we understand where we've become, what we are as a team, what we've built as a foundation. This is like their third iteration of 
the Warriors, right? You had the Harrison Barnes, Andrew Bogut Warriors of 2014 or 2015, 2016. Then you had the Kevin Durant Warriors. Now you have the Pool Party Warriors. Uh, but it's still, it, regardless, you, you've still got these three guys that you know are pillars of winning championships. And I, I think that you have to kind of just rest easy at night uh, knowing that you've got those three guys on your team. And Steve Kerr is a championship head, winning head coach. Well, so that's the other, the other part of this too that I was actually going to do, dive into later, but you brought up Kerr, and I think that segues us nicely. This is the ultimate matchup of ex- finals experience versus finals inexperience. I think the famous quote is the, the famous stat going around Twitter right now is that, you know, Al Horford has the longest career of a player if he starts in any game. To He'll have the longest career of a guy to start in the NBA finals and most playoff games played by guys starting the NBA finals before their first NBA finals game. Whereas the rest of that team is like, you know, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, those guys are young. And then you have the bajillions of NBA final starts in the previous five times they'd been in Golden State. On the coaching side, you very literally have a rookie head coach versus a guy who has only, I mean, I say only in the, what is it, six, no, eight years he's been a head coach. They've been to the finals now six times. That seems like it ought to be leaning towards the Warriors. But I also feel like that means we have no idea what to expect out of Udoka because we would have said the same thing about Steve Kerr in 2015, right? So we think back to 2015, right? It was David Blatt was the Cleveland Cavaliers head coach and Steve Kerr was the uh, Warriors guy, of course, but both of them were in their first year. Still, though, you, you could see the adjustments in, in the mid-game, right? Their, their personnel that year was a little more particular in terms of, you know, having a few specialists, having a, these weird guards that like Sean Livingston and Leandro Barbosa, the whole game wasn't really developed yet in terms of that small ball style. And, you know, in that series, Steve Kerr had to like a, adjust um, a mid-game in, in order to, you know, unleash the whole death lineup idea, putting Andre Guadalla in the starting lineup, moving Draymond Green to center. All of that happened in that finals, right? So in that, in Steve Kerr's first year, he was able to do all of that. So I don't want to put a limit on a guy who's a first-year head coach, especially the kind of guy like Ime Udoka, who has that pedigree, right? He was with the Spears for, Spurs for a long time. Coach Popovich actually was talking about Ime Udoka saying that, only particular players can play for the Spurs. Ime Udoka was one of those players because he was one of those people that could play for the Spurs. So I, I don't want to discount sort of where Udoka, you know, could, you know, really surprise some people. Personally, for me, the adjustments were just a little bit in favor of Spolstra. I saw in, in, in this Eastern Conference final series where I was, I was very much, um, I was I was very much wanting more from Ime Udoka's adjustments, and I thought that's I felt that's why we saw some of these Miami runs um, and sort of some of these other things. But there are also these other flaws in the Celtics team, uh, for instance, like a lack of a real ball handler that uh, you know he still had to overcome, and I, I, he has gotten the job done so far. So I wouldn't be too surprised to see you know him put up at least sort of like a at least sort of like a net zero or maybe a, a net net gain but maybe that gain is is negligible at the end of the day yeah and i think it's just um it's just more of a wild card to me i think that people are already writing off about like well kurt they've got all the experience and all this and all that and like i've got no indication that tatum or brown are scared like like i've got no indication they're not ready for the moment 
and you know, they've got gritty defenders and the coaching thing. I just, I, I have no negative influence around Udoka. I have no, like there's, he's only shown up in one. It's his rookie year as head coach and he's only shown up in one. Um, the other thing I want to ask you a little bit about is, you know, paint us a picture here as a Warriors person. Uh, how did you watch the Eastern Conference Finals? What were you picking up on? I know you're a diligent note taker. Uh, I understand you're also an analyst and like look at things more holistically, but as a Warriors fan specifically, what are you noticing as you're knowing you're going to the NBA Finals? What are you watching and paying attention to? I had one thing. Um, I don't know if you listen to the Bill Simmons podcast a whole lot, uh, but I do. And he said, Bill said this thing that I, I thought was hilarious because it was true, but it also sounds outrageous. It's that Andrew Wiggins for the Golden State Warriors is a cat in that is, is he, he plays like a cat in that he comes into your lap. He does a few things nice on the court. You know, you're, you're petting Andrew Wiggins on your lap. You're thinking, oh, this is so great. What a great guy. Um, and then he disappears. He jumps off your lap and you don't see him again for another 20 minutes. Right. And you're like, you know, where, where the hell is Andrew Wiggins? Jalen Brown is very similar in that way, right? <laughs> where, you know, Jalen Brown is the same kind of guy where he, he comes onto your lap and you're like, ah, oh, yes, Jalen Brown, you know, driving to the hoop, not missing a field goal in the paint. This is great. And then he goes and bricks a bunch of three-pointers and you're like, ah, oh, get off my lap, Jalen Brown. Like, why can't you do better in certain areas? And I think that's going to be one of those things that's really going to be interesting to watch in this series is how the Celtics use Jalen Brown uh, because he can be really streaky from the outside. Uh, and he hasn't really had a great outside shooting performance uh, as of recent in, in this Eastern conference finals series. So I wasn't, I wasn't really impressed in terms of that in terms of an inside presence it has been amazing. And I think he could punish the Warriors on that a little bit. Clay Thompson is probably going to get that assignment. Maybe you put Draymond Green on him a little bit, but you're definitely keeping Wiggins on Tatum. So that means that the Jalen Brown assignment is going to be a little bit more by committee. Um, and so I, I just, I sort of wonder um, how that goes. The other thing is for the, on the Warriors side, the Mavericks, the way that they attacked the Warriors uh, defense was very much in terms of taking advantage of those switches. So uh, the war, the, the Mavericks all the time, they would put the ball in either uh, Luka Doncic or Jalen Brunson or Spencer Dinwiddie's hands, try to play the carousel, trying to get the switch of either Stephen Curry or Kevon Looney, and then attacking that switch or Jordan Poole. That was the other one where they, they didn't really even play Jordan Poole a whole lot of minutes um, in those later games because they were just like, you know what, we're not even going to put that matchup out there for you because we know that you're going to hunt Poole every time. The Celtics, I don't really know if they have the sort of ball handling in the same way that the Mavericks do, where they have the Mavericks have three ball handlers. The, the Celtics, I'm really not even confident if they have one ball handler. You kind of every single one of their players I consider like a like a half of a ball handler. Uh, and so I don't really think they can play that same switching carousel game. Uh, so I still I kind of see when when in sort of a half-court setting, I see the Celtics kind of stalling out unless Jason Tatum does something incredible. Um, but then on the other side of the court, Jason Tatum has to play defense against Andrew Wiggins or Andrew Wiggins is probably going to be, have to be aggressive as well. He probably already knows that going into this matchup. So, you know, it, it's really going to be kind of a test of, you know, how tired is Jason Tatum after 14 combined games against title contenders. And then, uh, you know, whereas Andrew Wiggins has had a week of rest and, 
you know, can can definitely help to be aggressive in this game where, you know, I want him on my lap the whole time. I think the starting lineups you brought up are fascinating. Um, the comparison, the two, especially because you'll have just go down to five. You'll have Looney and Williams. That's a fun matchup to watch. Uh, you'll have Draymond and Horford. I enjoy the way Draymond plays more, but Horford had a tremendous playoff run so far. That's a fun matchup. Um, you mentioned Wiggins and uh, Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, either one. The other one probably gets Clay Thompson. That four, somehow, however, it shakes out. Ton of fun. Then Marcus Smart and Steph Curry, obviously, that's defense play of the year covering like this infernal force that is Steph Curry playing basketball. Like that in itself is like must watch TV with Jordan Poole coming in off the bench. Right. Um, now, I guess the deal there is that the Celtics coming in off the bench got Grant Williams, and that's not quite the same guy. Uh, they have to kind of reconfigure the matchups, I think, there. I wouldn't just put Grant Williams on Jordan Poole. But what I, I guess I'm getting at, like, I think the shakes out to be a really fun series. You mentioned six. I could see it being a close six. Um, I would not be surprised if it went seven. I would pick the Warriors, though. Like, I'm, not, I'm not saying I would pick against them. I just I feel like the way that Boston plays defense as a top-tier defensive team, one of the best defensive teams, especially in this playoff run that I remember watching, that that's the kind of thing that, like, and, and I don't mean to offend Warriors fans in this, but there just seem to be some games where, like the Warriors fans are like, yeah, it's not a night tonight. <laughs> and, they, and they just check out. And I could see like game three on the road, the Warriors look around in the third quarter and be like, hey, we'll see you game four. Like I could just see that happening once or twice over the course of seven games because they feel like they got it in the bag when they get home, right? Um, and they probably do. I, I don't mean to say that they don't, but that that's the weird MO about this like veteran age thing with Golden State where, and it's totally an earned arrogance, but there feels like this arrogance about like, we can take a game off, we'll be fine. Um, and again, earned. They've played in the finals a bajillion times and all that. Um, but just something that like, I could see the Celtics pulling off a game here or there. I will say, and then I'll throw it back to you, the Golden State Warriors play offense differently than anyone else in the league, especially in the playoffs where they're still constantly moving, constant motion, constant ball movement. Whereas like, did Jimmy Butler get 40? Yes. But the Celtics just had to watch him ISO. Like there wasn't a bunch of with the ball over the place. It was just watching Butler ISO in a way that is just not quite the same. And we might know by the end of game one, the Boston can't keep up with that. Um, Do you have any thought on that? Well, just to go to that, that uh, observation you made, I mean, I think there's two, there's two things with that warrior's arrogance because it's definitely there. And I definitely see it. The other part of it is probably like, once you see the turnovers, especially in that first three quarters, if, if those turnovers get to like seven or eight before halftime, then you start to see the warriors check out. I think a good amount more. Um, it's just, it's just kind of how they go that, you know, they're sort of read and react system that they run in golden state. Um, you do get the turnovers and that's sort of kind of, they just live and die with accepting that they, they are going to commit turnovers at points because of the system that they run. Um, and then I, I feel like because they sort of are the way that they are, they see those turnovers pile up. They see, you know, they already know that that's kind of how their system works sometimes. And so they kind of go like, you know what? Our system does that. We have these many turnovers. Tonight's not our night. We're just going to get them next time. Um, 
but on the other end, wait, what was the other question? I'm sorry. I got wrapped up in that. Oh, wait, no, I had it. I had it. I'm sorry. On the other side, the Warriors having that home court advantage, let me tell you, Oracle Arena is a lot different than Chase Center, right? Those first five finals runs were played at Roracle, right? They called it Roracle because it was absolutely insane as a guy who spent, you know, a good amount of childhood nights in Roracle where <laughs> you really saw it come alive. And I've gone to Chase Center a few times. Chase Center feels a little more corporate, you know? It feels a little more like, okay, this is a little bit artificial. We haven't won a championship here. I understand, you know, they even had this weird thing at, in Golden State where they were like, you know, they moved to San Francisco first, and then all of a sudden their branding was all Oakland, right? They had Oakland jerseys. They had Oakland on the half court of a court that was located in San Francisco and not in Oakland. And I was just like, uh, yeah, like I, as a fan myself, I'm obviously going to root for the Warriors, but I don't feel it the same way that I did in Roracle. So that part of things, I, I'm actually really curious to see just how that playoff atmosphere differs from Oracle Arena. Well, I I think I got blocked by a couple people on Twitter one time when I called it gentrification. It felt like exactly what's happening in the actual Bay Area where the nice things are moving to San Francisco and they're leaving things in Oakland behind. And it's not doesn't help that it's happening around the same time. I mean, the Raiders just left and the Athletics have talked about leaving in an effort to get a new stadium. The Niners uh, left San Francisco for Levi's. Right. Like, you know, things are just moving around a little bit in the Bay Area and Oakland's getting left without a whole lot besides, I guess, technically UC Berkeley is on the East Bay, right? But I, I, I digress. That's a whole other podcast. We're about gentrification of the Bay Area some of the time. I, What do you think, as a guy that's watched the Warriors this whole time, and you just watched the Celtics intently and took notes, what do you anticipate Boston doing with all that movement that Golden State does with and without the basketball? I see a lot of Robert Williams being used, right? That That's kind of the one thing I, I actually don't know where you stick Al Horford in this one particularly um, because before he kind of played a specific role in these past two series where you put him on the big man or you force he forces you to play the post game right where he he forces to kind of expose you right in general he exposed Bam and he exposed Giannis in, in a way where it's like okay yeah neither of these guys are great post scores Al Horford's gonna make you beat him that way and if you can't then you know you're, you're gonna not play that well well the Warriors don't really play post defense or post offense at all you know they don't really do any post-ups in general so uh, unless those turn into like fadeaway mid-range pull-ups right like with, with uh like clay thompson but you're not going to put al horford on clay thompson or right you know that i just kind of wonder if maybe we see those minutes really shrink and then uh robert williams only played 15 minutes tonight but i i i think that we're going to see maybe even 40 minutes a night uh per game because the Warriors on the other side are going to put Kevon Looney out there and Robert Williams, Kevon Looney, that's going to be kind of the matchup to watch where I'm like, hey, whoever gets the edge in that matchup might be getting the edge like 70% of the time. For me, specifically the Warriors, right? Kevon Looney has been coming up huge for the Warriors in terms of rebounding, right? He's had 18 rebound performances, 22 rebound performances against the Dallas Mavericks, where he was basically that completely unsung hero. He had a case for Western Conference Finals, Magic Johnson Finals MVP, right? Where it was like, you know, hey, this is like, if it wasn't for him, the Warriors would have no other rebounders or no other ways to grab the boards. So 
if Robert Williams has any, you know, fight in him, he's going to look at Kevon Looney and say, okay, I've got to take this guy out and, you know, grab the boards that this guy is getting uh, because Kevon Looney doesn't have any sort of specific advantage in the way that Robert Williams does, right? Kevon Looney's basically biggest advantage is kind of what he isn't, right? He's six foot nine. He's not a seven footer. So he moves better than seven footers, right? He moves faster around those other, uh, to the, to the rim uh, for those like pick and roll, uh, pick and roll drives to the basket, or he's able to get that little push shot to go more often than not and get those putbacks because he knows how to get into the right position because he has been playing with Clay Thompson and Stephen Curry his whole career. So he knows how to get when the jump shot is coming and how to get in position for the putback, right? So all of those little things are in favor of Kevon Looney, but then you've got Robert Williams on the other end, who's just bigger, longer in terms of wingspan, quicker, and more athletic. And so I, you take all of those things and you apply it to that matchup. And I'm like, man, I, I wonder if you're going to see a lot more of these double digit Kevon Looney rebounding performances. Well, and so I wonder if that's um, when we're talking on your podcast talking about how like you have haymakers between games. Um, I could see if I think we're going to learn a lot about the series band of game one. And I don't mean to say like, I don't know what's coming. I mean, that let's say like, even if you go back and look at the Warriors and Celtics games earlier, we talked pre-pod about how like, the games from the regular season you can't even use as a bar because Seth Curry gets hurt and Draymond's hurt in the second game. The first game, there's no clay. Uh, we said Romeo Langford played a bunch of minutes. Like, like, like it's just, you can't use those as appropriate measures either. And the, again, the Celtics play as good a defense as anyone has ever watched play basketball as a team. It's like them. It's that Detroit Pistons team that won it all. And frankly, I'd argue that the 2012 heat team played with really good defense too. And it's like, like, there's not a whole lot of this, right. But also I see such it's uh, akin to like when you watch a college football team and they like lose to Air Force because Air Force is running the triple option. It's like, what? And the coach is like, we just don't see the triple option, but once a year and they run it all year long. That could also very well happen to Warriors offense. It's the Warriors offense is not Air Force. Air, they're also Alabama. It's like it's like the exact same. It's like the best players also doing this for this like different thing that's like hard to prepare for. And that I think is going to be interesting because by the end of game one, we might be able to be like, Boston can't do that. Like, like Boston just might not have, not have the horses for that because it's not the way that they've been asked to play defense at this point. But also we could see the end of game one. And on the flip side, if Boston steals it or something, you could well, see us be like, okay, what they did was having Kavon Looney in the game meant that Robert Williams didn't get played off the floor. And by game three, they're starting Jordan Poole. Like, like something, something just dramatically different happens. Um, and Kerr has done that in the past where he makes big changes between games. Obviously you mentioned the start, the death lineup move in 2015 earlier. Um, I, I just wonder if like by the end of game one, I might sit and be like, this thing's a sweep. Like, like I, I just, I don't know how if Boston can't keep up with the movement and keep up, like if Marcus smart is not able to keep track of Steph Curry off ball, he'll have 40 a night. He gets his first finals MVP. This thing's a wrap, right? Like they don't have there. You have to find some way to figure that out. But also, if they do, then we start seeing what does Golden State do. And outside of lineup changes, that gets fun. Uh, you've seen them play for a lot of games. What, outside of going small, what do you think Golden State would do if Boston's defense gave them problems? 
Well, there's there's two things to what you what you just said first, and then I can get into that. But it's the first thing is that the Warriors also don't have a lot of regular season footage on what they look like, right? We talk about the Celtics, right. how they were kind of this hidden thing that peaked at the right time. This Warriors death lineup that is like the, the I call it the death lineup 3.0, right? Uh, Wiggins, Poole, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, and Draymond Green. They didn't play together in the regular season because none of them were healthy at the same time uh, together. The other thing is that. You know, game one and game two in Chase Center, sometimes the Warriors, when they get those three guard lineups with Poole, Clay and Steph to work like in both games, they just win like automatically because they kind of overwhelm and the other team is just like terrified of the lineup. And it, it's sort of like you're going back at back home um, down 0-2 because you're just, you know, you're shell shocked by sort of the style and the way, and it's so different from the rest of the league and it works so well. And there's only three players that you can play it with and they all play on the same team. And that's why it works so well um, in Steph Curry, Clay Thompson and Jordan Poole. So there's really all of that, that, that could get really scary. Um, the one thing where I really want to watch um, this on when the Warriors are on offense and the Celtics are on defense that I could see giving the Warriors a lot of trouble is just, the the if if they're able to let uh, Marcus Smart free roam in kind of the way that he is able to do that that in the way that in the style that won him Defensive Player of the Year right so we talked earlier that you know Marcus Smart might not be the best defender on his own team and still won Defensive Player of the Year but what's so great about it is that he is able to play sort of this rover position on defense that not a lot of players do and he's able to come up with these highlight reel plays that you know they they make that they make the highlight reel they make a lot of flashiness but it's also something that you know hey this read and react system that creates a lot of turnovers this guy here who creates a lot of momentum with his turnover plays you know in Marcus Smart like yeah I could see that being a really interesting little dynamic, a little wrinkle here uh, that Golden State is going to have to figure out. Um, the other thing is just that, you know, the, the Celtics are bigger than than Golden State. So if Golden State isn't hitting that three ball and they aren't spreading the floor in the way that they can, um, things could turn Celtics really fast, right? Because you just get a few missed buckets, right, where it's a long rebound and the rebound goes to the free throw line and whoever grabs it, uh, a Celtic, can hit a guy who's already streaking down the floor, whether that's Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, and then boom, two points. And then you, you just see that happen over and over and over again. We saw them, we saw the Boston Celtics build some pretty huge leads against uh, the Bucks and the Miami Heat doing just that taking their missed opportunities and turning it into transition points where they now their lackluster offense uh, or just, you know, a dubious half court offense is sort of covered up by the ability to just, just kill them in transition. Yeah. And frankly, we saw how well Boston played in transition tonight. I think that that, that whoever wins transition battle will always be an indicator on basketball games, right? It's easy buckets. It's, you know, debilitating buckets is buckets. The defense can't be set up for, and it also gases you out. I, as I scrap through and trying to figure out like what, if they have trouble with the movement, what does Boston go to? Um, I guess they're just going to try to slow you down to death with a bunch of Tatum post up, like not post up, like on the block, but where he puts his back on you from like 15 away. Um, he, the Kobe stuff, not cause he wore the 24 wristband on the night, but the Kobe stuff. Right. Um, that's honestly the only card I visibly see in the deck right now for them to try and slow the game down. 
if they have trouble with the speed. Um, am I missing something there? Or are you thinking it's warrior speed all the way? There's no way they can slow them down. The one where what I am really looking at is sort of this bench rotation um, in the early few games, right? So we don't actually know uh, right now, Otto Porter Jr., right? We don't understand. We don't have information on whether he's, when he's going to be coming back. We know um, that he might be coming back at some point in the finals, but we don't know what game that is. So, you know, for me personally, I'm just, okay, maybe that's game four, game three, maybe that's game five. Um, Same with Gary Payton, the second. Right. So then your bench as the Warriors kind of really shrinks. Right. You've still got Jordan Poole. Right. Hashtag pool party. Or if you put pool in the starting lineup, then you've still got Kavon Looney. But then, you know, Steve Kerr his next few guys off the bench in this Maverick series has been Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody, two rookies. So it's like, are you really going to play two rookies in the final? Um Moody's defense has looked pretty good, but his offense has been pretty rough at times. Uh, Kaminga kind of is like the other way around where it's like, yeah, if you give him like some mid pull up or mid range pull ups, you know, I, I believe in his mid range game and his offensive game just a little bit more, but on defense, I actually don't really like Kaminga besides being an on ball defender when he's off ball, he tends to miss the switches. He tends to do the things wrong. He tends to overhelp. He tends to do all the things that rookies do. Right. So having him do those on the biggest stages, when you've got, uh, when you're potentially putting him out there to guard like a Jason Tatum or a Jalen Brown, I think that's really dangerous. Right. And, and really scary uh, proposition as a Warriors fan. Right. Then on the other side, it's like, okay, so you've got Moody Kaminga, two rookies, and then Jordan Poole, another really young guy coming off your bench for the Warriors, right? I don't really know if that strength in numbers compared to Grant Williams and Derek White, right? That Those are your kind of bench guys as, as the Celtics. I would rather just kind of count on, you know, I, I know what I'm getting from Derek White. I know what I'm getting from Grant Williams from an, on a night-to-night basis, whereas the three young guys for the Warriors are, are very boom and bust at times. Um but I, I would feel comfortable knowing what I'm getting from these two guys and just this seven man rotation that the Celtics have built in general. Um, the only thing that I get worried about for on the, on the Celtic side is just, you know, where do you go from here? Right. So the Warriors, it's like, well, you can put in like Juan Toscano Anderson, you can put in Damian Lee, you can play. <clears throat> sorry. You can like count on Bielitsa to be like a big body or like a four when you want to put Draymond Green at the five and sort of a small ball configuration, right? But the next guy off the Boston bench is like Peyton Pritchard. And then you're looking at like Luke Cornett or Nick Stauskas, right? It gets really, really, really narrow. Um, I actually looked it up in playoff games where Aaron Neesmith, Aaron Neesmith has been like that next guy off the bench. Uh, for Ime Odoka, these playoffs, when their other guys haven't been working. When Aaron Neesmith plays over 10 minutes in a playoff game, it is their their win percentage is is it just goes down the toilet, right? And don't don't quote me on that because I, I don't know if he's been playing these past like three games. I looked that up, I think like a week ago, but that's that's been sort of the line where it's like if Aaron Neesmith is plays over 10 minutes, if you really have to start counting on this guy, it gets dicey quick. So what you're saying is he is your figurative white flag. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically, basically. No, that's pretty. Uh, uh, so talk to us about uh, not you, you have plenty of experience in watching the finals. Um, 
So game one is Thursday. As a fan and analyst, last thing I want to wrap up is what are you doing between now and Thursday? Are you going back and taking notes? Are you going back and watching? Are you trying to like configure things out or, or are you taking a break? Cause you're going to about to be in full speed ahead come Thursday. Well, as a part-time broadcaster for my news station, I'm actually going to be going to game one outside and do, shooting standups and B roll. And so I'm really excited. I'm kind of making preparations for that right now. Um, but just in general, I'm, I'm paying attention to the press conferences and I'm watching Otto Porter Jr. and Gary Payton the second injury timelines like a hawk. I would just be refreshing that the whole time because if Gary it, Gary Payton the second, I don't really know where you use him in this matchup. He's obviously a really useful uh, tool, but maybe you, you don't always use every tool in the toolkit uh, if you're Steve Kerr. But Otto Porter Jr., right, he's kind of that guy where off the bench, he's long, he can really play that read and react system well, and he can shoot the three ball really well. And so having him in the series to, from the start, um, that could really make a difference here. Whereas I, I don't know about Gary Payton the second as much, but both of these guys being healthy and this that, that full Warriors rotation, then the small ball death lineup that you have has like three different iterations because any piece of Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins, and Draymond Green, you can swap out with Gary Payton II yeah. or Otto Porter Jr. And then it becomes like, oh my God, it's not one death lineup we have to worry about. It's three death lineups we have to worry about. And that is kind of my favorite part of this Warriors 3.0 of the dynasty that we've going on right now. That like six, the sixth uh, appearance in eight years thing that we've been going on. There, this is sort of still sort of like that third uh, evolution of the team. And th this is like kind of my newest favorite wrinkle. Well, and, and I say before we wrap, but like the Gary Payton, the second timeline, A, is unreal that he's already healthy enough after a, a rough injury. But B is like the kind of thing that if he came back for like game three, like that swings the series. Like he is that kind of a defensive presence. I'm convinced though that, that Gary Payton, the second is a superhuman. Right. Just like the, <laughs> the different highlights and the different things he's done after like not even being a person in the NBA like at all. I think he played like a few minutes for the Atlanta Hawks at one point, but that was like he, it, like he's nothing not else. Young. People yeah. think he's young. He's not young. He's like 26, he's, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Which is, I guess, not old for like a, a regular life person, but for the NBA, like to be sprouting up out of nothing at 26 is phenomenal. Um, Thomas, while you're watching that like a hawk, tell people where they can find you at. Yes, uh, go ahead and stream episodes of the Goaded Podcast now, wherever you find uh, your podcast. And also, um, go ahead and check out Belly Up Sports. You already find Parker's stuff all there about talking about the Rockets at all the time. So you can just go ahead and search Thomas Christian, and my stuff pops up too. So, uh, and, and I come out with a weekly columns. Couldn't get one out last week because I was dealing with college graduations and um, the like. Uh, but I, I do write them pretty weekly and they are on bellyupsports.com. <laughs> All right. Make sure again, that's the go to NBA podcast and bellyupsports.com. Thank you. Come on, Dave Thomas. Uh, thanks so much. Okay, Parker. So the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? <laughs>
Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we we seem to have an affinity for our beers between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it'll <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out the beard struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, the beard struggle's got all the products that you need. The beard struggle, feast your face. All right, friends. Do you feel like you're ready for the NBA Finals? Do you feel like Thomas got us ready to go? Shout out to all the Warriors fans and the Celtics fans out there for a great year. Let's hope we have a fun, fun series. With maybe not so many blowouts, but certainly a fun, close, competitive series. And the Celtics are playing. I guess that means it's probably going seven, but we'll see. If you're looking to talk to me about the series on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Painsworth512. That's P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512 on Twitter and Instagram. You can find this show on Instagram and Twitter at F underscore N underscore sports on Instagram. That's at F underscore N underscore sports on Instagram. And on Twitter at FN Sports 2. That's F I N S P U R T S number 2. All one word on Twitter. On both of those social media handles, you better go to the link in the bio. The link is a link tree. You get to all of our sponsors. That's my bookie. That's Yeti. That's in the clutch.com. That's all the different people that help support the show. If you want to support the show for free, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review to all the wonderful things that have the podcast. And whatever you do when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.